Man, I'm so excited to be up here, and, and I always want to give honor where honor is due. We have some pretty incredible pastors here at Pathway, so I want you guys to give it up for Pastor Marty and Pastor Mark for obeying the call of God and the call of ministry that he has so clearly placed on both of their lives. I'm so honored to be able to be up here. Um, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, but, but I want you to know, I still consider myself fairly new to the area, even though it's been over four years, which is crazy because time flies when you're having fun. Um, but, but it's been over four years. I've had an opportunity to be a part of churches in different states, different areas, big churches, small churches, and y'all should be proud of yourselves because y'all have the best church on the planet. Um, the best people, come on, the best the best staff, the best pastors who love you guys, and it is a great church here at Pathway. For those of you who do not know me, I am not the, the pastor of the house that is Pastor Marty. He has taken his family on a 12-hour trip vacation, which I'm not sure if that sounds fun or not. I'm sure the destination will be great, but maybe not the trip there, but but they're on vacation this week, uh, some getting some rest before we jump back into um, what God has in store for us in the fall. Um, but my name is JW. I am husband to the most incredible wife. And I will argue and fight with you, but I have literally the cool, the two coolest little dudes ever, Lyndon and Maverick. But I'm also one of the pastors here at Pathway, and um, if you've ever been here on a Wednesday night, um, you've, you've heard me, you've, you've been a part of our Pathway students, incredible team, we have so much fun. So I'm going to preface this before I get into it. Um, please, um, if I say something about night instead of morning, just disregard it. I did not confuse my days and evenings, but I preach all the time at nighttime, so that's just the word that comes out the most. Um, so this morning, we are going to have fun. Also, I am uh, over our incredible, incredible serve team. Y'all give it up for the best serve team in the world. If you're not yet part of that serve team, don't worry. Fret not. There should be a QR code somewhere on the seat backs in front of you. And if you take out that cool little device that you just had out downloading the app, you can scan it and you can join the best team ever. And we are going to celebrate here in just a couple of weeks. Um, the second Sunday in August, we are going to have a serve team rally. Um, we are going to have a serve team rally. And if any of you have ever played sports and you know what a pep rally is, that's what we're going to be doing. We are going to have a pep rally because that gets us pumped up for the game that we're about to play. And we want to get pumped up as a serve team for what God is about to do in the fall because we are coming with the anticipation that he is going to do something this church has never never seen. So we're going to celebrate. We're going to have some concession stands. Come on. You know you like those nachos, those hot dogs. We're going to have, I, I don't know as of yet, but I'm pretty sure there might be a drum line. Um, we're going to go all out. There's going to be some team spirit for this serve team pepperelli. Make sure that you guys sign up. You are there. It is going to launch us into what God is going to do this year. Woo, let's go. We are in a brand new series this morning. It is Summer Revival. 
Summer Revival. Um, I, I'm so thankful to be able to to bring this to you. One of, last night I was I was preaching in my living room, and I started crying. If y'all know me, I'm sorry. I cry a lot. But last time I had the opportunity to preach on a Sunday, I cried a whole bunch. So I wrote down on my paper, don't cry as much. So my goal this morning for y'all is to not cry as much, but I want you to know that I'm passionate about God's Word. I'm passionate about His people, what He's doing, what He's going to do here. So when it comes to summer revival series, um, I've got my sweat rag up here. Um, I'm going to preach for approximately five hours, I think, is the time that they've got. Um, we're going to have a potluck right after service. And then you get about an hour break, and we're going to have some tents set up outside so y'all can come and sweat this evening, and I'm going to preach for another six. Come on. If you know anything about summer revivals in East Texas, you immediately got taken back to a moment where you were sitting in a hard, folding metal chair, sweating in August in a tent, underneath a tent, in a parking lot of the church that clearly had air conditioning. Come on. I don't know why, but every one I went to, I started sweating. And when I started sweating, you lost me. Like, I'm not worshiping anymore. I'm not paying attention to what the, the man is saying. I mean, he might be preaching fire, but all I'm thinking about is, can I line my body just right so that my mom, who is waving that little fan over there, that I can catch the breeze that is coming around her so I'm not sweating? Or, or I'll have to go to the bathroom for a really long time. Because, you know, you go to the bathroom, you go into the air-conditioned church building, and I would go in there, and I would just kind of hang out because I didn't want to sweat. But my, my purpose for this, I promise I won't preach for that long. Um, but my purpose for, for describing that to you is that I wanted to let you know this morning is, as I kicked this series off that, that revival isn't about sweating under a hot tent in August. It's, it's not about a three-night event, but it's more so about a change that occurs inside of you that changes everything about you. So this morning... If you have your paper Bibles with you, go ahead and let me see them. I ask our students every Wednesday night, let me see the paper Bibles. I love the phone Bibles. They're great, but there's something about turning the pages of God's Word and how you get connected to it. My next question that I ask are, do I have any paper notebooks? Any notebooks that take notes? It is so important that you guys take notes because how many of y'all know that sometimes Monday and Tuesdays are hard? And you got a word that you feel like you heard on Sunday that God was trying to speak to you, and then you forgot it on Monday because you didn't write it down. That's why it's important to take notes, because God is always speaking, but are we listening? John 11. We're in John 11. I'm going to kind of jump back and forth. I love when I read the scripture because it just it, it comes to life to me. So I will jump in it, and then I'll, I'll jump out of it, and then I'll jump in it, and then I'll turn, tell a different version of it. But we're in John 11. 38 through 45. It says, Then Jesus deeply moved again. Another translation actually says that he shuddered with intense emotions. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor. I think if you read the, the King James Version, it actually says that he stunketh. 
he, he stinketh. Um, or maybe you're a little bit more um, uh, on the, the Passion Translation. It actually says this. It says that his body is already decomposing. For he has been dead for four days. But Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And then he says this, and I could probably stop everything I say and end on this. But he says, I knew that you always hear me. I think that's so important for you this morning because you need to know that God always hears you. He hears your prayers. He hears you crying. He hears your pain. And it is important for him, for you to know that he hears you. Jesus said, I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I think too often we like to, um, I, I like my Jesus to think of a, a boisterous man, not a quiet, timid man, but somebody who is not a feel, afraid to raise his voice. I think we watch these, these shows and these movies a lot of time with Jesus, and he's just talking real soft like this. And he has a real like gentle, gentle voice, which I'm sure he does. But there are times where passion has to come out. And Jesus is standing here. He is yelling, come out with a loud voice. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power that is available to flow in us and through us and out of us, God. I pray with not just a little bit of faith that you might do something, that you might show up this morning, but I am praying with a, a great expectation that you will move mightily, God, that people's lives will be changed, that people can't leave here the same way they came, God, that, that there will be true revival spark inside of people this morning. God, we love you, and we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Y'all give it up for Josh on the keys. Come on. I, I wanted to get him a stool just so he could stay up there the whole time. Don't go too far. I'll call you back in a minute. Um, I actually had someone in the first service that came up to me afterwards and said, said I, I thought he was just going to stay the whole time. I was like, well, if I could have got him to, I definitely would have. Um, but one of the joys that I have of being a youth pastor is, is right in the summertime. Right, right in the summertime when it's getting close to the end of summer, because one of my favorite things to do as an adult who doesn't have summer vacation is to rub it in the students' faces that they're about to have to go back to school. Is anybody else? No? Okay. I, I love, in fact, this past week, I said, hey, guys, summer is almost over. Are y'all ready? And they're like, no, no. And I'm like, you're about to have to go. So I got to thinking about it. Um, I, I got to thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? Let's go to school this morning. Y'all want to go to school with me this morning? 
All right, so, so I got to thinking about the different classes that you take in school. So, so we're going to get in a little bit of a foreign language, uh, and, and then we're going to get in maybe a little bit of literature, um, and then we're going to get into some biology 101. It's going to be fun, um, and we're going with it right now with my title in foreign language. My title for this morning is Re Vivete. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, Re Vivete. Okay, that's not too bad. Um, so Re Vivete, it's really, really funny. Um, our incredible production team came up to me before service this morning and said, hey, did you mean to send that over? It's like, did you misspell something? I'm like, no, it's right. I promise. It's, it's re-vivete. When you look at the word revival, you can break it up into to two root words. The first one being re, which means back. These are both Latin terms. Re meaning back and then vivete meaning life. So re-vivete, back to life. Back to life. So what better story in the Bible other than Jesus is, is talking about Lazarus coming back to life? And, and, and then, obviously, when I do my studying, I like to get on Google. Anybody else use Google all the time? Come on. So I looked at revival. I'm like, what does Google have to say about revival? So I typed it in. And here are some words that I want to leave you guys with this morning. And one of them says it is an improvement in condition or strength of something. Another thing says something becoming popular, active, or important again. Some of my favorite, though, are it is a rallying, a betterment, a comeback, reestablishment, and then this one's my favorite. It is not in Google, but it is a reintroduction of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to this place and to this people. There's your foreign language. Now let's jump into literature. I'm going to jump into our points this morning, and we're going to have a little bit of alliteration. All of my points are going to start with the letter R. They're going to go a little bit further, and they're going to start with actually re, meaning back. And the first point I have for you guys this morning is reverted. Reverted, it means turned back. Turned back. In Numbers 14, 1 through 4, says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The two leaders who had just fearlessly led them out of slavery, and now they're grumbling to them, and they're mad, and they're angry, and they're upset. And the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Let us choose a leader that God didn't send to deliver us to go back to enslavement and our comfort. You see, when Lazarus died, his body began to revert. His body instantly, the moment he died, began to go back to which it came. It began to go back to dust. So his body was reverting. And I think a lot of times when us as Christians and we're walking the, the Christian walk, a lot of times life will sometimes get difficult It'll get hard. The path to what God has in store for us isn't always 
easy. And, and Satan is constantly trying to attack us. And, and it just seems easier to go back to the sin that once entrapped us. Maybe it's easier to go back to the world that is constantly pulling at us. The Israelites, they had been enslaved for 400 years and they had been led to freedom. Finally, God had called them to something better. He had called them back to promise. He called them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And I don't know about y'all, but I like both of those things. Um, and when I was younger, I used to drink a gallon of milk, a gallon of whole milk at that every single day. That's probably why I'm still thick. Um, but when it comes to honey, I like honey too. When I'm, my throat's a little itchy and I'm not feeling well, what do I do? Go get some honey. Um, when, when I want to sweeten my coffee a little bit, put honey on there. I'll put honey on my pancakes, honey on my biscuits. Honey can go on anything. So if God's saying, I have a land flowing with both of those things, sign me up. I'm at the front of the pack and we're going to have a good time. But I think so often the, the road to better, the road to promise gets difficult and we always want to go back to comfort. Because that road is where Satan attacks you. That road is where Satan starts throwing things at you. Because he understands that you haven't seen your promise yet. And you're in the in-between. And you know what this was. You know what this comfort was that was enslaving you, that was entrapping you. You know what that is, but you haven't quite seen this yet. So it's a little bit easier to come back over here. So that's where Satan is going to try to get you. I love watching like baby Christians. It's one of my favorite things to do. Because you know what? They are on fire. They're ready to go save the world. They don't care who it is. They'll be at a restaurant, and they're telling their waitress about Jesus, what he's doing in their life, and, and, and they're excited for about three to four weeks. And then they remembered, this is kind of hard, but this is, this is a little easy. And they will allow their comfort to enslave them. The Israelites were ready to allow their comfort to go back to slavery. Maybe in your life you're, you're, you're looking, you just escaped a toxic relationship, but it's, it's easier to kind of go back to that because you're familiar with it. Or, or, or maybe you have, haven't been addicted to, to a substance or something in eight years, but something bad happens, stuff starts falling around, and, and you just remember the comfort that you had there, and it's okay to walk back. Once you start following Christ, there are always moments where you're going to have an opportunity to go back to the old you, to go back to the old ways. Whether that's a big thing that's happening where God asks you to move across the country to a little town called Longview, um, or, or maybe, it's the, maybe it's something that, that, that's small. Maybe it's the way that you react or respond to somebody who said something to you. And in 2016, I love this story because we try to go back to Egypt. In 2016, God told me to move to Longview from the good old great city of Kansas City. He said, move to Longview. And I literally laughed and told him no. I said, no, I'm not doing that. Um, but then he tells my wife that we're moving to Texas. 
I'm like, okay, great. Maybe he changed his mind and wants us to move to Dallas or, you know, a bigger city. Um, And nothing against Longview. I love it. But we lived in Kansas City where the Royals had just won the World Series. We got to be a part of it. They had just drafted Pat Mahomes, about to take us to a couple of Super Bowls. And I had all the incredible food that I could think of. There were probably 257 different restaurants that weren't chicken or burgers. And he said, I want you to go to Longview. Whoo. So we did in 2017. We sold our house, moved here to Longview because we knew that God had called us here. We knew that there was maybe a potential that we would be able to see the promise that he had given us in college, that both of us would be on full-time staff at a church, something that we knew we could never be at where we were. You see, we had great jobs. We, had, we, we got paid well. We got the flexibility to make our own schedules. Um, it was a great setup. I was able to get off super early on Wednesdays. We were what I like to call full-time volunteers at our church. Um, we were also considered uh, unpaid staff because we were always there, and, and we loved it. We, we were comfortable there, but we knew it wasn't the promise that God had. So we're like, maybe, just maybe this is... This is the path to get to that promise. So we moved here, and one year later, I said, nope, this ain't right. It's like, this is hard. This is difficult. This path is not easy. I'm not getting paid what we were supposed to get paid. I'm not in the place that I thought I would be at by this age. It is hard. It is not fun. And then, to throw it on top, we get a phone call saying, hey, y'all want to move back to Kansas City? We can hire one of you to work at the church. And I'm like, how do I sell my house? I'm ready to go back. It's like, I'm ready to go back. To you go work at the church. I'll go back to my job. We have all the food that we want. It'll be great. We'll be able to go back to that comfort. Because the next two and a half years were the hardest years of our lives. It was not easy. It was so many times where we wanted to go back. But if we would have allowed ourselves to go back to our comfort, we would have been enslaved forever, missing out on the promise that God had. If we would have went back to Egypt, we would have missed out on all that milk and honey. Full circle, Kayla has now been on staff here at Pathway for just over two years, and I'm at my two-year mark. When you accept Christ in your hearts, we are continually being transformed. We're constantly changing, but the devil is constantly trying to get you off the path that God has in store for you. So I'm going to encourage you, don't be enslaved to comfort to escape the pain to promise. Let me rephrase that just a little bit. Don't be enslaved to a bad relationship to escape the loneliness that you walk through to get to the person that God has in store for you. Don't be enslaved to an addiction to escape the withdrawal that you have to walk through to get to the freedom and sobriety that he has for you on the other side. God's promise is important, and it is worth it. The second R word I have for you guys this morning This one's probably my favorite. Rearranged. Rearranged. Put back together. John 11, 44. 
I'm not sure if we have the same translation, so I'm just going to read what I have. It says, then in front of everyone, Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. He still had grave clothes tightly wrapped around his hands and feet, covering his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him loose. Come on, Lazarus had been dead for four days. His body was literally decomposing. And here's where we jump into biology. So if you've ever heard me preach, if you've ever heard me talk, whether it's at FCA, at a a local school, whether it's on a Wednesday night, even on a Sunday, you've probably heard me talk about football. I love football. I can relate anything in the Bible to football. I don't know. It is a talent that God has given me. I played football for 17 years um, in Pee Wee, went to play middle school, high school, played in college, played a little bit after college trying to go on and, and, uh, and play in the NFL. And I, I love football. And typically the stigma of being an athlete uh, means that you miss out on the, uh, the brains, right? Anybody heard that stigma? If you have the bronze, you don't have the brains. Well, I want to I change that. If there are any football players, any athletes in here, I made straight A's. I made good grades. I was a mathlete at my school. And don't make fun of me, but I went to science camp. <laughs> I went to, and it wasn't when I was a, a, a wee little man. I don't know if that was ever me in any way, shape, or form. Um, but when I was six, 17 going on to be 18, 17 going on to be 18, I, I decided to go to science camp. But let me preface this science camp. This isn't just any like poor stuff in beakers, and although I probably would have had fun at that too. This was, this was extra. Um, so I grew up not too far from here, about two hours in a, a little town called Commerce, and um, grew up there. And I had never really been on an airplane, but I had an opportunity to fly to Miami. Come on, fly to Miami as a 17-year-old high school, I'm, I'm on for that. So then I had to convince my mom. I had to convince my mom. I was like, Mom, it's like I have to go to science camp. It's good for my brain. It's good. It's good for me to go to this camp. But you know what? Uh, it's only like $1,800. I was like, but I get college credit. Do you know how, I'm selling this hard to my mom. I'm going to sell it to her. It's like, do you know how much a college credit now costs at a, at, a, at a college? It's more than that. So I get a college credit, but I also get to go to Miami and learn the science things. You see, it was a science camp about forensic files, forensic, forensic scientists. It was a CSI camp. And, you know, this was when CSI and CSI Miami had really just taken off. So I was like, I want to do that. When I grow up, I want to be a forensic biologist. I want to study the decomposition of, of murder victims, and I want to go, and, and I want to solve the crime, and I want to do all of that. So I was like, I got to go to this camp, because if I go to this camp, I know that I can be that when I grow up. I'm clearly not that, but I did go to that camp. We got to that camp, and they're like, all right. It rained every single day, the whole day. We got to go on a fan boat tour one day, and it was raining so hard, we were just getting pelted. And it hurt. It was miserable. It wasn't fun. So when we got back to our dorms that we were staying at, we had, to, we had to come up with our own science experiment. We had to figure out what it looked like for a body to decompose. So they give us the next closest thing to humans, 
uh, little uh, mice. Um, so we stuck these little white mice out in this, you know, rope. You know, we had to use the caution tape. We caution taped it off, um, put little mice out there. And, and, and these little mice, um, by day two, going out and checking on them, studying to see if we had any, like, animals come to try to eat the mice or, or what, which it didn't get that good. But we did see a bunch of bugs. Like, all the bugs were covering the mice. But, but I can tell you this, by day four, you didn't even recognize that it was a, a cute little lab mouse. You saw the bones and the bone structure in what used to be a mouse. So I got to thinking, now I'm going to get a little bit graphic here in what I'm about to explain to you guys, but I want you to understand the power of God. When it comes to a human body and the decomposition, there is a good bacteria that was once feeding on the contents of the intestine. It begins to digest the, digest the intestine itself, which eventually breaks out and starts digesting and consuming the surrounding internal organs. This is all days one through three after death. From the moment death occurs, death flies are attracted to the body. And without normal defenses of blinking, closing, opening your mouth, the flies will actually lay eggs in the open areas of the bodies, which will hatch within 24 hours. That's days one through three. This says on day four, there is a bacteria inside of you that begins to break down tissues. It begins to break down the cells and it releases fluid in the body cavities that are built up with intense multiplication, which creates pressure in the body that we know is bloating. There are young maggots that are already moving throughout the body, spreading bacteria and tearing tissue as they move as a mass to decompose flesh. And with the increase of smells, stinketh, um, the body that is emanating from, the, the, the smell that is emanating from the body attract even more flies, beetles, and bugs. Here's why I went into so much detail. Lazarus was not asleep. It wasn't as simple as Jesus going up to his tomb saying, hey, buddy, it's time to wake up from your nap. Hey, Lazarus, it's time to wake up. But I think that's why he stood out and shuddered with intense emotion and yelled, Lazarus, come out. Because it wasn't as simple as him waking up, but his body literally had to rearrange itself. The, the, the cells in his body had to redevelop. His organs had to reconstruct. There was power in what God was saying, and that power that is running in that place is running in you this morning. You see, because... I think that, that we can tie ourselves back to Lazarus. God standing at our heart with intense emotion. Because if we're all honest, there are probably some of us in here that has some things in us that stinketh. That are broken. Maybe you have unforgiveness and bitterness living in your heart for something that someone did to you 15 years ago. Maybe you have a dream that you wrote down on a vision board in 1997 that you still haven't come to pass and you've allowed that to die inside of you with no hope of ever going further. Maybe you want to be a parent so bad and you've been trying with your spouse to get pregnant to conceive and you haven't seen it happen and you have friends around you that are having babies and you have that pain every time that you want to celebrate but you know that something is broken and you struggle. There's anguish. There are dead things in each and every one of us that God doesn't want to stay dead. 
And I want you to know that he has just as an intense emotion that he had for his friend Lazarus that he does for you. And he wants you to be rearranged because of this. Y'all know people formed a crowd to watch this whole scenario. I'm thinking, uh, this guy, we've seen him perform miracles. We've seen him do some pretty incredible things, but we know this dude is dead. Like, we've seen some people that might have been asleep that he raised, but, like, clearly we know that, that this man is dead. So there's a crowd that begins to form. There's a crowd because, you know what, they're like, man, this is hopeless, but I want to see what happens. How many here have ever been labeled as hopeless? A lost cause, something that you've been praying for, something that you've been seeking. They said, don't pray for that anymore. And it's not just people who don't believe in Jesus. Sometimes the people that discourage us the most are the Christians sitting right next to us because they don't have enough faith to believe it for you. There's a crowd, hopeless, a lost cause. But what do you think they did when they saw Lazarus hobble out of that tomb? And I got permission to say this in the last service. They lost their freaking minds. <laughs> it was a change that took place in Lazarus. The same change that God wants to take place in your heart, when people see that change take place, they're going to lose their freaking minds. You think when your son that you've been praying for for 20 years walks through those doors who's been away from God, you think that your life group that's been praying for you is not going to lose their minds? That is revival. It is revivere, a back-to-life experience, moment coming over you, coming inside of you that cannot be contained. It cannot stay inside of you because everyone you come in contact with will know something is different. Your wife will know something is different. Your coworkers will see something is different about you, and I want a part of that. The joy that you have, the passion that you have, the compassion you have, sign me up. That's how... Revival happens. It is an inward change with an unstoppable outward expression. Revivere. And this leads me to my last point for you this morning. Redeemed. Redeemed. Buyback. The greatest buyback that ever occurred. You know, I, I'm the type of person who I like to end a story on a good note, right? Like, well, like when I'm when I'm reading something or I'm watching a series on Netflix and then someone kind of spoils it and tell me that it ends really, really bad. You know what I do? I stop watching it at the good part, like because I want to end on a good note. So when I was reading the Bible. You know, we, we read to verse 45, and everybody's going back and believing in Jesus. It's this great thing. It's this incredible thing. And like, man, yes, it stops there. But if you keep reading it, it's that incredible miracle that takes place that is actually the exact thing that leads Jesus to his crucifixion. It is that very action of him performing that miracle that got him crucified. You see, in John 11, verse 46, after people ran and believed, comes back to this. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. 
So the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered their counsel and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. The Romans are going to come and they're going to take away our place, our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he actually prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Not for the nation only, but also together into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Your redemption, your salvation, your freedom is directly and immediately tied to the death and crucifixion of Jesus. I think so often we, we hear that cliche, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died, okay, cool. I've heard it, Jesus died for my sins. But if I'm honest with y'all, there are only three people under this roof that I'm gonna die for. And you know who you are? One of them's here, the other two are back there. There is value in the fact that Jesus chose to die for you. Your redemption is immediately tied to his death. I want you to understand that because it wasn't like a blanket statement, Jesus died for all, yes he did, but he died for you individually. And when you understand that, that is revivere. That is the life flowing through you. Your miracle of inheriting everlasting life is tied directly with the choice that he made to die for you. Like I said earlier, I love science and I love to look at, at the very attributes of God and God stands outside of our time, outside of our knowledge, outside of our comprehension. And when we look at God as that, um, sometimes we try to limit God and we try to put him in this box that he can never fit into. But it makes sense to us. But when we can step outside of our minds and understand that God doesn't have to make sense to us. And God stands outside of time. So if he stands outside of time, he's able to know me. He's able to know you. Every sin that you've done every sin that you're currently walking in, every sin that you're gonna do 10 years from now. And you know what? He still chose to die for you. That is the buyback. So revival, it's not about sweating in a hot tent. Although I'm sure there have been great movements of God happen in those locations. But it is about an inward expression it is about a movement that is changing inside of you that cannot be contained. If you've ever looked at a fire, unless you entrap it, unless you close it in, what does it do? It spreads. 
it spreads because it cannot be contained. Revival is about a fire that starts inside of one of us. It starts inside of one of us, a reverted us, who is pursuing our own things, who is pursuing after the world, pursuing the, the comfort of what sin is. It's, it's that person who can understand that God is trying to stand at our door and yell with shuddered, intense emotion, yell your name to step out of that, to step out of that hurt, to step out of that pain, to step out of that brokenness. When you can understand that and then fully accept the fact that he died for you, there should be a fire inside of you. There should be a fire inside of you that cannot be contained. It should be a blaze that when you go to work, it can't stop with you, but it has to go to them. When you go home, it is attracted and falls on your wife, on your kids, on your spouse, and then everywhere you go, it continues to grow to where that small fire, that little blaze inside of you turns into a fire that cannot be stopped, a fire that will sweep across Longview, that will change this day and impact this nation. That is real. That is revival. If y'all could go ahead and stand with me, I want to ask my prayer team to come up to the front. I want you guys to pray with me here in just a minute. I want you to pray for revival. I want you to pray for Revivete back to life. What's really cool about this team up here, a lot of you may not know, this isn't just a team that, that we call up here and say, hey, we pray for someone, but this is a team that has already been praying for you. This morning when they woke up, they were already praying for someone who, who might be living a reverted life, who's okay with being enslaved to comfort. They're praying for you. Maybe you have some things inside of you that stinketh, that, that you need to be brought back to life, that you need to be rearranged, your heart needs to be rearranged. They've already been praying for you. Or maybe you have no idea anything that I said about Jesus, about being redeemed, about him dying for you. You know what? They've been praying for you as well. So here in a minute, after we pray and if after we dismiss, if any of those things resonate with you, I want you to get up here as quickly as you can. If you have to run, I don't care. I want you to get here and find one of these incredible leaders that have already been praying for you specifically. God, as we close this morning, God, I pray for your power. God, the power of the Holy Spirit to fall. It only takes one. One person to catch fire, God. Living a reverted life who is okay with, with going back to that relationship that, that, that should have ended, God. The, the one person who's going back to that addiction that entrapped them for 20 years, God. The, the person that is okay with going back to that will have a change, God will have a rearrangement of their hearts, God, and accept fully your redemption. God, I pray your special blessing over every single person under the sound of my voice, God, whether they're watching in the house, whether they're watching online, God, whether they're watching five years by accidentally stumbling across this message. 
God, I pray that your presence would be known and follow them. Go before them. Go beside them, God, everywhere they go, and they would have an abundance of favor. God, favor in their relationship, favor in their marriage, God, favor in their finances, God, favor in new ideas, God, promotions, God. Special blessing to follow every single person, God, as we pursue you. And I pray that revival would happen. At work, God, people would see your flame inside of us that cannot be contained, that cannot be controlled, God, until we truly change this place. God, we love you so much. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for whose we are. And I pray that you'll bring us back to this house next week safely with love and passion and compassion flowing through us. God, you're incredible in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody in the house said amen, amen, amen.